This is Christina Parker with the Grace on the Go podcast. Today I am interviewing Aaron Hayes. He is a deacon at Grace Lutheran Church and he is currently teaching the church history class on Sunday mornings for the adult education hour. Aaron Hayes is very smart. What is your role at Grace Lutheran? I, at the school, I'm the high school teacher for theology, history, and uh, music appreciation, and in the church, I am the worship elder, I'm on the board of elders, and also in the several years I've been honored to serve as deacon. What is a deacon? A deacon is literally a servant, um, but in our tradition and the way we've been using deacons around here is I'm basically a pastoral assistant. And so if pastor needs help in a certain area, and in my case in particular it's in teaching or in worship or in other areas sometimes involving synod politics or whatever it is, I can assist him in those ways. And so because in a larger setting in particular, a pastor can't be in more than one place and sometimes, sometimes the deacon can step in. Um, so it's not a replacement for the pastor. It is not the same as a pastor, but it's a servant, a word and sacrament servant that can actually help the church in times of need. And in our setting, because we are a larger congregation, it really is in a way to assist the pastor. What is church history? So church history uh, is, I mean, you can just break down the word history if you want it, but really church history is the family story of God's people on earth. That's, that's an easy way of saying it. However, there's a caveat there, and this is what makes it really cool, is because to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, and we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You know, there's passage in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. That church history, not only is that, you know, those years back from about the life of Christ in the book of Acts through about 800, 900 AD that we're going to be looking at, but those people that died in the faith are still alive in Christ. And so this is very much living history. This is not something we don't just study because it's interesting or because it's cool or because there's great stories. Those are certainly true, but this is a living family history that every Christian is a part of and should know because they're participants in it. Even if you just go into a nine to five job, have three kids or whatever it is, you are still part of that same stream of the church, living out your vocation in the history of, of what's going on. So this is not some sort of, yes, are there institutional things? Yes. Are there um, certain figures in history you should know? Yes. So some of it is, you know, not, for lack of a better term, academic, or some of it is study. But I'm, my hope is, is that when you see these things and when you learn these things, it will enrich in and deepen your participation so that when you show up on Sunday, it's not just, I heard a good sermon or I learned something about Christ. Those are absolutely great things. But it's also, I got to participate with the saints that have been going good before me and I got to be a part of that living, organic thing that we call God's people. We use the word church. Um, I got to take a part in that. And when you enrich in that by saying, when I take communion, I am participating in the same service that Augustine did, let alone grandma. It's it's the whole picture, and studying the history of the church does that. So it's family history on earth, even though, like I said, with that caveat, to be, you know, the, the living tradition is still around us, you know, and there's right. people that are alive in Christ right now, and it's a foretaste of heaven, when, for example, when we participate in Holy Communion. So it's, it's a very vibrant thing. If you think about it right, my goal is, um, in spite of myself, is to communicate that sort of vibrancy when it comes to looking at the history. And really, you could even argue that the history of the church is a history of the Holy Spirit at work. You could even make that argument because you have people being called to faith and the Holy Spirit's the only one that does that, who's creating faith in people. And then that fruit that comes out of that faith that's created from God alone creates an amazing story. Um, so really, it's not something dry. It's really this, It's another corollary of theology. You're studying the Holy Spirit at work in God's people. There's things that have darkened the the church's shadow pretty deeply throughout history and several people in the world will 
not want to participate in the institutional church because of this history. Are you going to be touching on those pieces? Yeah, uh, there's uh, there's a few answers to this. There's the, uh, Number one, you're still talking about fallen human beings. And so nobody except the people that are actually in heaven right now and waiting the resurrection bodies, every human being that's ever lived has a sin nature that doesn't go away. We are simultaneously sent and saint and sinner. So when you're studying God's redeemed people, they are still people. And so there's a sinful aspect in things. Some, some interesting things that happen throughout history too is you got to ask yourself, is this the church at work or is this Christians doing things in spite of what they're being taught? Um, a lot of the stuff that happens in particular in these earlier centuries, especially when you get to uh, three, four, five hundreds AD and there's, you know, fistfights breaking out between Christians because of the Nicene Creed or whatever it is, you got not only these human beings involved, but there's also political ramifications, especially some of the leaders um, are saying that I want my empire or I want my little province to be unified. There's no such thing as separation of church and state at this point. Mm -hmm. um, that's not an assumption. So when you were against what the emperor believed or what the king believed, it wasn't so much that he was caring about every single point of doctrine. It was more like he wanted a unified front in his empire empire so that you were loyal to him as a representative because they fully believe um, with Peter and others when Peter says obey the king for example right. or in um, Romans when Paul says to be obedient to the governing authorities if you're a Christian authority and you tell your people this is what is good for the nature you know good for the kingdom and then you're willing to enforce that by rule of law with the wielding the sword it can look nasty in history because then people say, well, how could they dare do this in the cause of Christ? Or why would they? Um, why would uh, anybody care about doctrine that deeply? I mean, after all, don't they know that the you know, we have the separation of church and state? And there's a lot of assumptions there. We have a lot of modern assumptions. And then we read those modern assumptions back into the past and then say, look how dumb they were. Or look how dark they were. Or look how evil they were. And then they would look at us and say, why are you guys fighting over democracy? <laughs> So they, so it's a, it's an odd, it's it's an anachronism. So a, a lot of the complaints that people have about the history of the church, and even things that are a little bit uh, more detailed to explain, like the Crusades and Inquisition, which are later, mm -hmm. even those things, we are taking modernist post enlightenment. Post enlightenment for those who are listening is the Enlightenment's seventeen hundreds or so. We are taking some assumptions about the individual and the use of reason and constitutional rights and all these different things that we assume and taking those and reading them back to the past and then saying, look how dumb those people were that didn't have those things. And they would look at us and say, why in the world are you guys fighting for political rights? Right. You get them, so so it's, for them, it's also an identity piece, whereas when they were fighting, it wasn't just... I believe this about God versus you believe that about God. It was a lot of this is what my king says and who I am as a citizen right. of this country and as a citizen of Christ and all of those things were involved in every decision. That right. So the, the closest thing that you will hear that's in our modern world that's like this is when you talk to somebody like say go to rural Greece and somebody says I'm Orthodox because I'm Greek and I'm Greek because I'm Orthodox. <laughs> And we don't understand that. Um, right. We try to separate all those different pieces out. Right. But for them, it's the same thing. So the idea is, is if you know these things and you have an answer for them, you can actually argue for the truth of these things. Not, and again, the cause is, of course, Christ first. The cause is, of course, reaching people with the gospel first. doesn't matter if it's Catholic, Lutheran, Anglican, whatever. That's not, it's not tribal in that way. However, knowing why you believe what you believe, especially in your tribe, so to speak, if we truly believe what we say is true or faithful to the scriptures, you should know why that's the case. And church history can really help you have a greater appreciation for that, but it could also give you some tools. So when I'm teaching the church history class, one of the most awesome things about it is to say, wow, the things that I've learned, whether it's in Pastor Dinger's class or in a sermon or in a Bible commentary or whatever it is, what I'm reading actually is stuff that's been inherited over 2,000 years, and especially in the first several 
first several centuries of the history of the church. What I'd like to do, uh, and I think that you could easily help me with this, knowing your background. Um, so for those listening who don't know, Aaron and I have been working on the website for years now together. Uh, I'd like to build a page for you on this, so that way if anyone just listening to the podcast can't come to class and receive your handouts, they will have those available to them online as well without having to email you while you're also fielding emails from students. Yep. Nope, that's fine. And we, we some of them, um, I also, and I might make this available, and I'll, I'll send these links to you. About four or five years ago, I, I taught a church history class on our local public access channel. I still have those. Um, they're not exactly the same. I have new sources and some Is things that are... that Ralph Lilig's thing? No. it's a, um, It was something I did independently. Whoa, what a nerd. It was called Martyrs. It was called, <laughs> it was called Martyrs, Kings, and Fathers. Oh, that's fun. And so um, it was an actual thing that I did completely on my own, and it's available on... I have some of them online, and I think I have some of the original videos in other places, but even if it's just a couple of them, um, for example, I do the third and fourth councils on an episode, for example. Right. That might be helpful. So not necessarily all of them, but if you missed that, I pretty much cover a lot of the same things. If we missed it, who who watched it now? That's five years ago. It's, Actually, even if you did watch it, you still got to retake it. That's probably true. Um, they also had a... Um, what was interesting is I filmed all those over the course of about like a month, two months. Right. And three years later, they were still showing them on that access channel. That's so cool. To fill... To fill did you get paid for that? No, it's it's public access channel, so it's just voluntary. Oh. So people had their own shows and all those sort of things. And so mine was just voluntarily. But because sometimes there's certain slots that people can't do, right. they would just pull out of the archives. That's and so, so cool. on a random Thursday morning at the you know hospital and they're flipping through, you could you know, whatever it is. It's kind of bizarre. <laughs> um, so that stuff is still oh, available. I hope I get to catch that at some point. You might be yeah, I don't know if it's still I mean they might take it away. Do they're you talk, talk faster or slower? Um, did, uh, depends on the topic. It's a both end. <laughs> if I'm at the end of the, if I'm at the end, I, I we had a timer because it was about an hour long. At the end of the timer, um, if I saw I was running out of time, I would sometimes pick up the pace. There were other times when I the, do that too. <laughs> My sixth graders don't like it. <laughs> yeah. Or there were other times when I would face the production person that was there would look at me and he would say, you know, okay, we're gonna, you should. Because he would give me the, the video file to edit. Right. He would say, okay, you repeat that little section again because I think that was more uh, more information or more garbled than you think it was. And so he would let me know and I would repeat it and then I'd go back and edit it. And because it was one feed, it didn't really matter. Right. Um, and I will say in a podcast, because I'm advocating for something and I'm passionate about it, I probably talk about 10 or 15% faster than I would in the class. Uh, my classroom practice, part of it's because I've had high school students. This will be year three now. Um, because of my classroom experience, I do slow down some now, or I repeat things a little bit more often, or I stop for questions more often. There are some moments now, or I'll write something on the board or show a slide. I do pace things a little differently. Um, so if you did have church history with me, which would have been about seven or eight years ago now, things have changed significantly in my teaching style in that respect, um, in that I am a little bit more interactive as opposed to I'm going to give you, I'm going to just give you an information dump <laughs> right. and go. So things are better even right now since you asked me that. I'm more measured. And That's so good. <laughs> so, so if I'm if I'm asked to, or if I'm asked to repeat, or if I'm asked to parse through something a little differently, I can right. clarify. Um, since you will be in a room with a Promethean, if you write something on the board, will you screenshot it and then we can stick it up yeah. there? Yeah, or I'll okay. give you my slides. That'd be helpful. Because yep. I think you can write on your slides via Promethean. Have you figured if, out if how you to use do that Google, Yeah, if you use Google Slides, you can. Yeah. Um, and actually, they do have a PowerPoint app that's it's not as native to it, mm -hmm. but you can still usually manipulate that. Thank you so much, Aaron, for coming in. I really appreciate your time today. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening today. You can email us at podcast at gracepocatello.org, or you can check out our website at www.gracepocatello.org.